Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Debbie, Eddie, for leading us in worship, for Coy, Joey, David this morning, keeping our focus on the Lord so we remember the tragedy of 15 years ago. Let me ask you, 15 years ago, we saw that our nation was attacked. And as we've already mentioned this morning, we wonder, how much better has our world gotten in the last 15 years? When you think about the civil wars going on all over the world, you think of Christians being persecuted, you think of famine, you think of little ones, helpless ones that are starving in other parts of our world. And you can't help but wonder, is our world getting any better? Maybe the questions even popped into your mind a time or two. Why doesn't God do something about that? I guarantee that that question has popped into your mind when something personal has gone on in your life. Maybe you've thought about the tragedies going on in our world, but maybe it's become that diagnosis that you just received. Or maybe it was when you've got family trouble going on. Maybe it's when a loved one is dealing with addiction. Maybe it's when there are financial struggles and you just wonder, why doesn't God do something about that? So what is your that this morning? Think about it for just a second. Fill in the blank. Why doesn't God do something about that? Because I think if we're honest, we've wondered that before. What I love about our message this morning is that God not only gives us an answer, but he gives us a demonstration by showing the lives of people that he loved going through a very difficult tragedy. You see, maybe you're here this morning and you're frustrated. You see God answering prayers for other people, and you wonder, why doesn't he answer my prayer that way? You see God healing others. You see other people seem to be having no trouble with their finances whatsoever, but yet you can't seem to pay your bills. Many of us here have felt a frustration with God before. And that frustration stems from having unmet expectations. Do you ever ask a question already knowing what the answer is in your head? I do this to my wife all the time. I'll say, Lindsay, what, what should I wear? One or two, A or B? I'll give her two choices. Already knowing that I've got the shirt picked out in mind that I think is right. And so really, she, does, she knows it's a losing game. She either picks the right answer and I'm confirmed in what I've already believed to be true, that this was the right shirt that I'm going to wear, or she picks the wrong answer, and I start to question her fashion sense, and I end up going with the shirt I want to wear anyway. Now, just so you know, I picked out this shirt this morning, so. And she did approve. But do we treat God that way sometimes? Do we go to him in prayer already knowing how he should answer? already expecting him to answer in our time frame the way we think that he should? Do we treat the God of the universe as if he's our own personal genie in a bottle? And do we dictate to him the way he should operate in our world? Because I think the times that we get the most frustrated with God are the times where 
We just can't understand why he doesn't agree with us. Why he's not acting in the way we think that he should. Because we know how God should answer. We know when God needs to answer. And we know why he should agree with us. Because we've got it all figured out. We forget that God's ways are not our ways. In fact, we don't know everything, though some of us like to think that we do. We don't see the big picture. We don't know the big plan that God has in this world. We have unmet expectations. But what does the Bible have to say about this? Jesus could have simply just put it in as a little footnote in the Sermon on the Mount. He could have said, when God doesn't answer your prayer the way you want, then trust in him. He could have just said that. But instead, he uses a very real, a very personal, a very raw example from Scripture with people that he loved. He explains what might be going on that's greater than what we can see in our present trial and circumstance. He shows people that were dearly loved, suffering tremendous loss, hurt, and frustration with him. Let's turn to our text this morning. It's going to be from John chapter 11. This is the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now, this is the Mary whose brother Lazarus, who now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the, lo the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, well, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory and so that God's son may be glorified in it. Now we get the beginning of the story. Jesus receives word that the one he loves is sick. And his answer, his response is one of encouragement. He says, don't worry. This will not end in death. This will bring about the glory of God. That's encouraging, right? I liken this into when you go to church and maybe you're down and discouraged, but yet you, you receive a word of encouragement. Someone lifts your spirits or the, the worship. You feel like you connect with God or you connect with the message. Or maybe you're in your personal study time, your personal devotions, and you read something in Scripture that gives you hope and inspiration. Jesus has given hope and inspiration to these messengers that what is going on with Lazarus will not end in death. This is a great thing, but... Let's continue reading, because what Jesus does next doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Picking up in verse 5, John 11. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea. Now John, the author of this gospel, makes it a point twice now to tell us Jesus loves these people. He loves Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But yet when he receives word that Lazarus is sick, he stays put. Two more days, he just waits. It doesn't seem consistent. 
If Jesus loves them and he received word that he needs to go do something, shouldn't he just get up and go? You ever have that family member that you're always waiting on? I think we take turns in our house, depending on who it is every certain day. One of us is always going to be delaying the rest of us from getting where we need to go. But in this instance, Jesus is not just trying to leave the house or get to school on time. This is actually a life and death situation with one of his closest friends. But Jesus deliberately stays put. Why does he do that? Why does he make an effort to be late in this situation? Doesn't he love them? Well, John's already told us that he does. Doesn't he care what's about to happen? Doesn't he care about the suffering that they're going through? The agony, the the anticipation of when is Jesus going to get here? It doesn't seem like he does, but the story's not over. Let's continue to read. Jesus, after he says, let's go to Judea, his disciples, they, they speak up and they say, well, wait a minute, we don't need to go that way because there are Jews trying to stone you and kill you. After two days, his disciples are probably weighing the pros and cons of this journey. I mean, do we go and risk getting killed? He's probably not doing so well. He might even be dead. But when the disciples object to them going, Jesus has a very strange response. Let me read this to you. This is in verse 9 and 10. Jesus answers to them, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Okay? Jesus, we're, we're talking about going to Bethany, going through Jerusalem to go heal somebody. What are you talking about? Day and night and light and darkness and walking and stumbling. What is Jesus saying here? It seems kind of strange, right? Well, what Jesus is talking about is opportunity. You see, he knows that his time on earth is coming to an end. And he says that there is only a little time of light left. You see, Jesus is often referred to as the light of this world, but when he ascended into heaven, part of that light went with him, and he had to leave a light on earth for his followers. So what he is telling them is that what is going to happen at Bethany is going to give you a light that you'll be able to carry with you into the dark days ahead. I'm going to fan a flame of your faith so that when I'm gone, And when you face persecution, when you face hardship, when everything else around you goes dark, you'll still have faith. Jesus is talking about the opportunity. After a little bit more discussion, Jesus then tells them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But now let us go to him. Again, Jesus loves them, but now he's saying, I'm glad that he's dead and I wasn't there. That doesn't sound very loving. But why does Jesus say, purpose statement, so that you may believe? Jesus is working something that they cannot see right now. It sounds pretty harsh of him, but he's got a bigger plan in mind. So his disciples They need to see what's going to happen so that their faith 
would be strengthened for the days ahead. Jesus is teaching them that trials and opportunities, trials are opportunities to reach new depths of faith. You see, one of the biggest killers of our faith is self-reliance. When we start thinking, I've got everything under control, I can do everything on my own, I don't need to worry about anything, when things are going good, we forget God. We start to say, well, there's not really any need to pray. Everything is going along just fine. We start to feel pretty confident in what we've done and what we've accomplished. It's only when the trials hit, as we've, someone mentioned earlier, when we look at the tragedy that goes on around us, that that is a wake-up call to turn to the Lord. If everything went our way all the time, would we look to God for his provision? Would we pretty much be our own gods? Would we only treat God and, and, and prayer to him as if we're asking our genie for our own personal wish? And do we get upset with God when he doesn't give us our way and answer things the way we want him to? So Jesus lets Lazarus die. And now he's going to go to him. And the preliminary reason that he gives for letting this tragedy occur is so that their faith might reach new depths. Hmm. Let's continue with the story. Picking up in verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Four days is important. We'll come back to that. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. Two miles. Even with all the crowds and all the people swarming around him, it was a two-mile journey from Jerusalem to Bethany. Many Jews had already come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in their loss of their brother. And when Martha heard about this, that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Let me ask you, why do you think only Martha went out to see Jesus? Why did Mary stay at home? Mary, the one who wiped his hair, wiped his feet with her hair. Mary, the one who, while Martha was off busy preparing the meal and the preparations for the guest, she could not leave Jesus' feet. She wanted to hear his teaching. She wanted to be with him all the time. But Mary stays home and Martha goes to see Jesus. The Bible doesn't say. But if I put myself in that situation, I'm hurt. I'm mad. I'm disappointed. Jesus could have been here. He could have done something about it, but now he's too late. I imagine that's going through her head. And so Mary stays, but Martha goes. Verse 21, Lord, Martha says to Jesus, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know. I know he will rise again at the resurrection 
and the last day. Do you get how raw this is? Do you get the emotion coming from this passage of scripture? Martha is struggling. Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. She's got disappointment. She's got doubt. She's got hurt, but she's trying to cling to her faith. But I know that if you ask, God will give you whatever you want. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And I imagine Martha takes it like this. I know, I know. We all have heaven to look forward to if we're followers of Jesus. I know that there's, this death is not the end. I know that in the future, in the final resurrection, at the judgment day, we will have heaven to look forward to. And that is a comfort. That's a comfort that only Christians can have. That there is life after death. That there is a resurrection and there is hope. But for the pain of that moment and that day, she still struggles. And Jesus understands. What Jesus says next is either completely insane, totally insensitive, or it's the most faith-building thing he could possibly say. Verse 25, Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That is either the craziest thing you could say to someone in the middle of their pain, totally insensitive, or it is empowering because who is saying it? The Son of God, the one who has victory over death, the one who gives us hope of eternal life. Martha replies, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. Jesus speaks to Martha in her pain, in the midst of what she's going through. And he affirms her faith in him as the Son of God, as the Savior, as the resurrection and the life. Remember, Trials are opportunities to reach new depths of faith. Ryan, I'm getting a little feedback. I don't know if you can do anything about that. Randy, thank you. Now Mary and the others, they decide to join where Jesus is. Let's see what Mary says, picking up verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here... My brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit and was troubled and asked, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord. I love this. Now Mary comes and basically says the same thing that Martha said. But Mary isn't trying to hide anything. She comes to him weeping She's not trying to pretend that she's got faith, that she understands, that she knows the big picture. She is disappointed. She is hurt. And the people around her are hurt and they're crying. And Jesus is deeply moved. Remember, Jesus still cares. He never stopped caring about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And he wants to go see him. 
And this leads to possibly one of the most powerful scriptures in all the Bible. John 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. Now this is every Sunday school kid's favorite memory verse. Because you knew you would get this one at least. Jesus wept, the shortest verse in all the English Bible. But why did he weep? The Jews then said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus never stopped loving Lazarus. It was obvious to those that were around, but yet they asked the same question that every one of us has asked before. Couldn't he have prevented this? Why doesn't God do something about that? Well, Jesus is about to give us a powerful lesson. But before we go on, I want you to remember that your trial in life, whatever it is, if you're going through something right now, if you've been through something in the past, if you've got something in the future, your trial is not an indicator about how God feels about you. He has not stopped caring about you. He has not stopped loving you. He has compassion. He has empathy. He knows what you're going through. It isn't a punishment. It isn't because he's forgotten about you, though it may feel that way. Because I'm sure it felt that way to, Larry, to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But that's not the case. Jesus, once more deeply moved in his spirit, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he's been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? I want you to think about this for a second. In the ancient world, they had a superstition. They had a belief that the soul of a person, once they died, would remain hovering over the body for three days. But then after the third day, the body would start to decay and transform, and the spirit no longer would recognize the body and would leave. Now that's ancient superstition. We don't have anything in Scripture to confirm that that's really what happens, but that's what the world that Jesus was in, that's what the people believed. Four days have passed. So even if the superstitious of that day maybe held out a hope, maybe, maybe they could explain away what's about to happen, that, well, okay, he, he wasn't really dead. You know, maybe it was just that he was sick and he, he got better, or maybe, you know, through some sort of superstitious magic that the spirit entered back into him because it hadn't left yet. No, Lazarus was dead for four days. And in the King James Version, Martha says, Lord, he stinketh. And I have to imagine she didn't say that with a smile on her face. In fact, I imagine Martha said it like this. Four days he's been dead. Four days. When did we send word to you, Jesus? How long did you sit there and wait before you left? Four 
days. But Jesus says, did I not tell you? Did I not tell you, Martha, that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Her faith is being put to the test here. She said, yes, I believe you're the resurrection. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you are the Messiah that's come into the world. I believe that God will give you anything you ask. But this, this seems impossible. I don't know about this. But Jesus tells us what to do. When there are no answers as to why, why doesn't God do something about that? When there are no answers, look for God's glory. What is God doing in the midst of your pain? What is he doing in your world, in your family? What is he doing that is bringing him glory? What Jesus asked does not make sense. It does not, but he asks them to trust him. It doesn't make sense that he'd wait those two days after receiving word. It doesn't make sense that he would ask to roll away a stone for a man that had been dead for four days. But he promises, if you believe, you will see God's glory. So, verse 41, they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of of the people standing here, that they might believe that you sent me. Then Jesus, when he had said this, called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and the cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off his grave clothes and let him go. You want to know why he had to tell him to do that? Because nobody was moving. They were stunned. Here comes a man, four days dead, walking out of the grave at the command of Jesus. What is this power? What is this glory that Jesus is displaying? We can't explain it. There's nothing like it. But yet, Jesus promises, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. And that's exactly what happens. Jesus proved that he had the power over death in this one act. This one event is significant because many people turn to faith in Jesus. So much so that if you continue reading the chapter, the Jewish leaders get together and they say, we've got to stop this. This is the catalyst for them pursuing his arrest and his crucifixion. This one event sped up the time frame because they said that the whole world will believe in Jesus if we don't stop him. This is significant for that reason, but also because of those who witnessed it. Jesus was about to be arrested. Jesus was about to be crucified. Many of them were going to scatter Many of them were going to lose hope. But those who were closest to him, those who witnessed this, had a flame of faith that was not going to burn out. And when they saw Jesus again after his resurrection, and he breathes the Holy Spirit on them, and he empowers them, they can fall back on this example. 
Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and he has the power to overcome death in his own life, through his resurrection, and through our lives as well. Death is not the end. Your trial will not end in death. It will bring about the glory of God. And he offers that to each one of us here this morning as well. Whatever it is, whatever your that is, why doesn't God do something about that? Know that he is working to bring about his glory in this world. And he is giving you something that will take you to new depths of your faith if you will believe Our trials are opportunities. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. When all hope is lost, when it seems like that he's just not there, that he's late, that he hasn't shown up, that he doesn't care, he still loves you. In the face of death, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though they die, yet will they live. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. I don't know what your trial is this morning. I don't know what you're worried about or you're afraid of or you're concerned with. But know that Jesus offers you the same message that he offered to Mary and Martha. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. Do you believe it this morning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we don't have answers. We don't know why our world is in the shape that it's in. We don't know why tragedy happens. We can't explain it. We don't understand. We don't know why people do things like 9-11. But we know that in the midst of of our pain and our trial and our suffering, you can work all things for the good. And so this morning, we let go of our questions and we trust in you. We believe that we will see the glory of God. Take us to new depths of faith this morning. Give us strength when we are weak. For God... We are so weak. We can do nothing on our own without you. We lean on your everlasting arms and we put our hope and trust in Jesus Christ who raised Lazarus from the dead, who overcame death by his resurrection and gives us hope of eternal life, forgiveness of sins. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.